Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Josh Wickersham with Harris Boats. Josh, thanks for being here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you are a somewhat professional traveler, and 2020 was not the best year for that. So what do you have planned for 2021? Oh, man. Uh, so last year, we had a trip to Costa Rica planned. Ah. Um, that shut down pretty much right when we were looking to go. So we oh, ended man. up just rebooking it. And we actually already took that trip. Oh, last wow. Last month. Okay. Um, the the next trip, we don't really have on the books. Um, All right. We've been, you know, making a list and yeah. taking ideas. So if you got any suggestions, I'm open to it. Well, I haven't been to nearly as many places as it appears you have been, but Australia was my favorite one. That was a big trip. Have you been there? I have. Okay. Yep. All right. See, I couldn't stump you there. You've, yeah. Australia, okay. New Zealand, and Hawaii was... Um, one of my favorite trips we took as well. well. Well, New Zealand and Hawaii are both on my wish list. I yeah. haven't been to either one. But uh, no, I started traveling really late in life. And the Australia trip was only a few years ago. And that sort of changed the way I think about travel. I, I had a friend, a former coworker named Jeannie Otis, who when I came back from Australia, she said, you travel for three reasons. You travel to see people, you travel to relax, and you travel for adventure. And only late in life did I find out that I kind of like the travel for adventure. So um, I've got a lot of places left to see. Of all the places you've been, what are what are some of your favorites? Oh, man. So New Zealand, um, I would put at the top of the list. Uh, the people were great. Food is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and just the landscape is is gorgeous. There's a reason they shot Lord of the Rings there. Yeah, I mean, sure. It, everywhere you look, it's it's beautiful. Sure. Anything in the U.S. that you would recommend that maybe people don't think about? Or is most of your travel international? Um, we started doing more U.S. travel. Um, it, back in college, my family took me on a, a road trip through um, like South Dakota mm -hmm. um, and then out over into Wyoming. And the Black Hills were were gorgeous. You know, it's not too far. You may be a day and a half drive if you spend sure. the night. And um, There's a lot you can get to. Yeah. Um, so basically anywhere, really. Yeah. I, I've not been somewhere that I'd be like, oh, I'd never go back there. I'm kind of the same way. And I, I said that once and somebody challenged me. I was like, no, really, I'd go just about anywhere. Yep. You know, I obviously want it to be safe, but I'm I'm up for a little risk too. So mm -hmm. so what is, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this question. It's completely selfish. I'm asking this for my own purposes. If anyone else benefits from it, great. But what, what are some like tips that you've learned as a traveler that you think people should know that maybe they don't know? Um, I've got a lot of friends who like to do, you know, the resorts and they, you know, do all inclusive stuff. And that's not really our style. Um, we, we like to do a lot of the Airbnb stuff, mm -hmm. uh, before kids, we were doing a lot of the shared space. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you share a bathroom, share a kitchen yep. with the host. Um, it's a great way to really experience how people are living over yeah. there. Um, you get a lot of local tips, like the best restaurants, um, that may or may not be on TripAdvisor, mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, making sure you spend time doing the little things and, um, you know, it's it's about the journey and not necessarily the destination. So uh, taking public transportation is a great way to kind of see what life's like somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just I, I would say just get out of the resort. Yeah. Um, not that you can't do that. Those are great, too. But sure. Um, it's not everything. Yeah. And one of the things I like about Airbnbs is actually when you stay in a neighborhood, it's different where you're not apart from everything. You're kind of in the mix, mm -hmm. um, which comes with some challenges, but it's it's fun. It's a way to 
experience living in a place as much as just visiting it. So Yeah, we've definitely gotten lost a couple times yeah. looking, looking <laughs> for our apartment, but uh, it all works out in the end. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, we're not here to talk exclusively about travel because this is, of course, the Asher Marketing Podcast, not the Asher Travel Podcast, although maybe someday we'll do that. Who knows? But we want to talk about a few things that we typically discuss on this podcast, one being your career path, another being the organization you work for, and then some of the projects you're involved in. So let's start with career path. You mentioned before we hit record, grew up in Middlebury, went to Huntington University, studied film production. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So tell us how you get from there to where you are today. Yeah, so I kind of think of my career path as, you know, one of those cartoon treasure maps where, you know, you kind of start in one spot and then it does a bunch of whoop-de-loops. Yeah. You don't know where you're going to end up and then you finally land in, uh, on the X where the tre- treasure's buried. But um, so, yeah, I studied film production. My goal was originally to move to Chicago, um, you know, work with a production company over there. Um, and I spent a few months couch surfing on weekends, mm-hmm. uh, interning at a, at a studio. Uh, never really landed a gig, and then uh, got a job here in Fort Wayne at the brand Fine Chocolates, um, in their in their small marketing department. Sure. Um, and I was working, you know, half doing marketing stuff, social media, website, photography, and then half in the uh, the shop as a customer service employee. So okay. um, it, it was kind of a a mixed bag of experience. You know, I got to yeah. work with the people and then also help sell the product, which sure. was a lot of fun. Um, and funny enough, that was one of my first experiences with travel. Um, they licensed um, their name and their chocolates to a company in Kuwait for okay. for a while. And so I got to go over and help open a store oh, wow. over there. And that kind of, you know, opened my eyes to, you know, the, the bigger world out there. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then from there, you know, I got into digital marketing um, a little heavier with, um, you know, an ad agency as an account executive and yep. found out, you know, that's not really my style, not my speed. So as as someone who's done, you know, account side work for a while, I'm, I'm interested in what didn't work for you. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't work for me, but there's some of it that works, obviously, because I'm doing it for a while. Yeah, I'm just not really very salesy. Okay. Um I enjoyed learning and sharing, you know, everything that digital marketing can do yeah. and how it can help. Yeah. Uh, but when it came down to it, I wasn't, you know, very good at, you know, calling people up and saying, hey, we should try this yeah. or we should try sure. that. Um, if you ask me, I've got plenty of ideas, yeah. but it's just not really my sure. attitude to go out there and do that. F- fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So, so you go from the brand to a digital marketing role in an agency. You decide being an account exec is not for you. Then where do you go from there? Um, so from there, I kind of stepped back from full-time work and uh, picked up some work at a photography studio, mm-hmm. um, Roberts Photography here in town. I still work with Pat quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also worked at JW Specialties um, doing some of their social media, mm-hmm. um, face, Facebook, uh, email marketing. Um, and during that times when my wife and I started traveling a lot, mm-hmm. um, I was able to set my own schedule, didn't really have any PTO but I could work remote when sure. possible. And um, and then from there, we started a family and I kind of figured out that, you know, you need a little more consistent paychecks yeah, yeah. and, you know, some it, benefits and it, stuff like it that. It changes so, everything, as yep. I learned and, 21 years ago, yes. <laughs> yep, and that's what landed me at Brunswick uh, with Harris Boats, so. Okay. Um, 
So, so what was it? Was it a position that was advertised? Was it through someone you knew? Yeah, it was. Uh, I I think I found it on Indeed, mm-hmm. um, and it was listed under Brunswick and not as Harris. So okay. I I wasn't really sure what it was, and sure. I, even the job description didn't really mention the brands. And I went through the process, and then I realized that you know it's um, Harris Boats, which is. Mm-hmm. Um, They've been making boats in Fort Wayne for over 60 years now. So okay. very familiar with it. I spend my Sundays on a 1972 Harris. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So once I found that out, I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And then they were looking for somebody specifically to come in and help with their photo shoots and video shoots. And I was okay. like, oh, this is perfect. Okay. Um, and so that's, you know, that's All what right. brought me in. So, so is the majority of the work you're doing on the photo video side or is it broader than that? Uh I would say it's much broader. Um, It's pretty seasonal. Right now, we're getting ready to jump into our photo shoots uh, on the water. Um, So it's a lot of prep work, pre-production, getting shot lists together, lining up talent, uh, figuring out how we're going to get the boats to and from the lake, all that stuff. Um, but over the summer, then I spend, you know, several weeks between the factory and on the water. Yep. I come back looking like I've been at the beach, you know, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, oh, Josh is back. <laughs> um, yeah. So th- the summers are great. I yeah. love the summers. Yeah. Uh, once we get into the winter, it, it starts to slow down. Then we, like the fall, we're really, you know, trying to get our materials together for product launches, uh, get ready for boat shows mm-hmm. uh, in the spring. Um, and then, you know, spring is heavy selling season and then, you know, we kind of start the cycle again. Uh, but I also do a lot of, um, general customer service, um, stuff and I, I run our social media accounts and that kind of stuff year round. So there's not really a slow time. It's just kind of a different pace. Yeah. So, so in terms of locations, do you generally work in Northern Indiana or are you going to other locations to shoot? The majority of the time we are in northern Indiana, we go up to Lake James quite mm-hmm. a bit um, just because, you know, we take a lot of boats to and from the lake and it can get expensive if yeah. you have to go too sure. far. Sure, um, We do try to get out of northern Indiana just so the tree line doesn't look, yeah. you know, the same everywhere sure. you go. But sure. um, that's usually, you know, once every other year we get to yeah. take a boat or two. Sure. So what are some of the challenges that people might not expect that you run into on a boat shoot? What are some things that, uh, you know, you've run into that that maybe are not so fun <laughs> in what sounds like a really fun job? Yeah, it's one of those things where a lot of the times we're using boats that are, you know, fresh off the line yeah. or, you know, this is the first one we've built and we're putting it on the water the first time. So. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten up there and the fuel lines haven't been hooked up or something like that. (laughs) And we're like on the phone, we're like, I can't figure it out. Um, and this is all stuff that, you know, would normally be taken care of by a dealership, but nobody's like, oh, they'll do it. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, we had that happen with our camera boat. We, we take this giant, um, two story tower boat with twin engines and we get it out on the water. There was just, just enough fuel to get it out into the water and then but none, not back. Not back. <laughs> yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of little stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit about Brunswick and Harris, how the two entities are related and where you spend most of your time, which brands you're working on and what that consists of. Sure. So uh, Harris pontoons um, was founded in, what, 1957 um, over in LaGrange area. And we've been here ever since um, manufacturing pontoons specifically. Um, we did deck boats for a while. Um, 
So there's a lot of Harris and Kayot deck boats uh, still out on the water, uh, but we're back to pontoon specifically. Um, Brunswick purchased the company uh, a few years back, and um, they kind of streamlined the process and said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna sell pontoons, we're gonna do it well. Um, and Brunswick is a 100% marine focused company now. Okay. Um, so you know they own Mercury, um, some of the other big brands like Sea Ray, Bayliner. Um, and I spend most of my time with Harris. Uh, I do also work with Cypress K pontoons manufactured out of the same location. Um, but the majority of my time is spent with Harris. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's been fun because I know pontoons, like I spend time on pontoons and I know what it's like to actually go out and yeah. use the products. So sure. it's, it's fun. So you mentioned you spent a lot of Saturdays on a Harris pontoon. Was that true prior to you working for the brand or was that a byproduct of you working for the company? Well, so I married into that. One. Aha, okay. Yeah, my, right. my wife's family has an old Harris pontoon That's boat. the best way to have a boat is to I know, to not know someone it. who has yep. a boat. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah, with small kids, I just wouldn't even have time to do anything yeah, of it. Sure. but uh yeah so i was you know we were spending our summers you know on the on the water on the boat and um yeah it was just a happy coincidence yeah well that's that's great so obviously again based on what we talked about prior to hitting record big boom time for boats because where people are restricted from doing other things the opportunity to spend time close to home and maybe saving money because they're not traveling or doing other things what's that looked like for your brand over the past 14 months oh man okay so let's say back in march last year it was everybody was so nervous um a lot of our dealers and, you know, everybody in the industry in general was just like, oh, man, this is going to be like 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's going to buy a boat. Yeah. Uh, a lot of uncertainty. And then um, that was just the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once people figured out, you know, they weren't going to be able to go go to concerts or go travel and do all this stuff. Everybody's like, well, what can we do? And boats, they can go to the lake. They can uh, take all their friends with them. You know, they can just have fun outside. Yeah. Um, and that has not slowed down at all. Yeah. Um, and we don't really, uh, foresee that slowing down in the near future. So people have learned that they like it, but they would like to do more of it. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. So, you know, we're selling boats as fast as we can build them. Okay. So any supply chain issues, I know a lot of industries are experiencing that. Is that happening to, to your brands? Yeah. And, you know, that's not necessarily just our brands, the Mm -hmm. entire industry, as well as the RV industry. We share a lot of suppliers, um, a lot of the same um, building techniques and Mm -hmm. um, any kind of manufacturing process that uses fabrics and um, stuff like that. You know, there's been a huge constraint on that. So um, we're, we're, we're to a point where, you know, we're working through it and we know what we've got to do. Sure. Um, But yeah, that was, um, definitely a bit of a, a challenge that, you know, the company's been working with. Sure. So, so what, if anything has changed, you know, when, when you have a lot of demand, how does your marketing strategy and maybe even some of the little stuff, how does it change during that time? Yeah. So we're not trying to, trying as hard to find new customers. They're finding you. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're not having a hard time doing yeah. that. So we're focusing a lot on our current customers and how can we make that experience of owning our boat better? Yep. Um, because we get a lot of repeat customers. Sure. 
Um, so we're really working hard on generating um, brand loyalty and just creating a, you know, a perfect experience, you know, the moment they put the boat on the water to when they take it out. Okay. Um, and then working on, you know, generating content that is useful to them. Uh, a lot of tutorials for new boaters, um, activities that they can do with their grandkids, yeah. um, that kind of stuff, just ways to use their boat that they may not be thinking of or um, just teaching them how to be better boaters. Sure, and I would assume that in today's environment, I could be wrong, but I would assume that a lot of that content is video because it does you know, so well from an engagement standpoint. Is that correct? And if so, does, is that helpful to you since you come from that background? Yeah. So um, one of the challenges that we have being in northern Indiana is that uh, we are stuck inside for a lot mm -hmm. of the season. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to get as much video content as we can, um, you know, during the summer when the boats are on the water. Um, and yes, video plays an important role in that. Um, and I wish we could do more of it. Yeah. Um, but knowing, you know, that two-thirds of the year we're not able to be on the water with the boat makes it a little challenging. So what we're trying to do now is leverage, um, you know, some of our dealers to um, help coach them to create content. Yep. Um, because, you know, we're not directly selling the boats. Sure. Um, so we, we've we got to kind of train our our sales people out in the, out in the field to, to kind of help us through that. Uh, but yeah, video definitely is something that I enjoy working on and is making a big difference in how we're presented, especially with this high demand. Sure. And and who is your target mark, you know, your target customer? Who is it that you primarily focus on and, and why is that the focus? Yeah, so we get a lot of older um, 50s, 60s um, people, and a lot of them are, you know, previous boat owners. Um, they they may or may not have kids at home, uh, empty nesters, or you know they're starting to get their grandkids at the lake. Yep. So we get a lot of people who will uh, trade in their speedboat mm -hmm. and they'll pick up a pontoon because they know they can still go fast. Yep. Um, but they can also take it slow and just hang out with the little ones. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a lot of multi generational um, kind of families, and we're starting to push more into the younger audience, um, especially this past year with everybody. Um, being stuck inside, everybody's wanting to take, you know, their time outside. So we're we're seeing a lot of younger, um, first-time boaters being drawn to the brand. So sure. So you mentioned the seasonality of the business. So I want to talk now about some of the specific projects. And obviously, don't share anything proprietary that yeah. you don't want to share. But what are some of the projects that are taking up your time now, or that you're looking forward to? Maybe things that are keeping you up at night, or that get you excited, or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, definitely the photo shoots. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we're you know gearing up for right now. Um, it's my favorite time of year. Yep. The month, which you know we'll be on the water in about a month. This month is one of the most stressful. Just mm -hmm. getting everything lined up and yep. making sure you know boats are completed and, and they get up to the water and yep. they're cleaned and gassed up, ready to go. As soon as we get on the water, it is great. Yeah. I have sure. You know, I you show up and whatever happens happens. And yeah. You deal with it, and yeah. it, it's fun. That's when you start to get creative, and sure. um, that's where the magic happens. So, how do you source talent? If you don't mind sharing that, you know, I having done that in the past myself. Sometimes it's using talent houses. Sometimes it's relying on family and friends, depending on the nature of the shoot. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to be part of a shoot out on the water, but how do you how do you find talent generally? 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a good mix. Um, a lot of times we'll use employees and their mm-hmm. families. Um, we know that they're you know available during yeah. those hours. Sure. Um, we usually shoot during the week because the lake gets pretty busy on the weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. We get a lot of uh, lake families that we've just kind of interacted with over the yeah. years. Um, we know that they're natural on the boat. Yeah. Um, they're comfortable driving. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have to do much coaching. They yeah. just look good on the boat. Sure. Uh, and then you know for some of our bigger products, you know, we'll hire talent in, um, for our photo shoots. We usually, or our video shoots, we usually hire, um, talent from a modeling agency, knowing that, uh, we've got a lot more work to do and we need to be able to rely on them, um, hitting their marks and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's a good mix. I've had my friends, my family out as well. So yeah. Yeah, well, it's sometimes you can borrow talent, but they're not always reliable. If you, right. if you ask them to yeah. do it for nothing, yeah, well, or, and, or close to nothing. Yep. Yeah, so every year you'll see me in at least one <laughs> one boat because somebody didn't show up. Yeah. Yeah. The back of my head has been in probably a hundred different photo shoots. I have a, my, the backside of my head is is ready for prime time, not the front side. Yeah. So. Well, there's a reason we're behind the camera. <laughs> That's right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So in terms of the the boat shows what what's your involvement in that and how does that come together obviously that's been hard to come by in the last year but as we get back into that how does uh, how does that affect your work and what's your involvement in it yeah so our department um you know we help organize all of the point of sale and like boat show displays and everything like that um a lot of it's handled by our dealerships um they're required um, are responsible for setting up the boats and getting them cleaned and ready to show. Um, so we help with, you know, getting any of the marketing materials together for them. Uh, and then we go and help as sales okay. uh, personnel. So um, I'll go to a couple of shows. Our sales managers are at every show they possibly can be. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some other people from corporate that'll come over and help out. But uh, we're, we're mostly just kind of there to answer questions and help sell the boats for our dealerships. Okay. All right. Well, anything there on the schedule or those starting? Obviously, there it's a, it's a little bit past that season, I would think. Yeah, but. last year, obviously, I, I don't know that we did any um, yeah. with any of our representatives. Um, this year, it's a bit more of a mixed bag. A lot of them are able to have boat shows outside. Um, some of them are opting for um, in-house dealer, dealer shows rather than going to a big convention center. They'll host their own event. Um, this year, we're starting to see some of the shows open up, and um, I, I expect we'll be at uh, a bit more. Probably not 100%, but uh, sure. a lot more. Sure. Well, Josh, I'm going to swing over to the speed round of the show cool. where we talk about some of the things that we've discussed, but maybe a little bit of a different angle or, or a little more concisely. I want to start with your your career path. Um, you know, you, you've done some things and learned maybe this isn't for you. You've done some things that have aligned better with your interests. You've worked pre-kids. You're now working with a family. What are some of the things you've learned? Maybe your best advice if you were talking to, you know, a student group at Huntington University or someone who's just getting started in marketing or someone who, you know, isn't sure they're in the right career path and might be looking at something else. What's some of the best advice you've learned over the years? Uh, I would say start with finding an industry and a company that you like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a big difference between selling something that um, somebody needs versus something that they want. Yeah. Um, and if uh, if it's something that you enjoy doing yourself, that, you know, makes a huge difference. And, you know, not everybody's going to find that their first job. Sure. Um, 
And if you don't, I would suggest finding either a hobby and, you know, trying to work that into something that you could potentially um, see yourself doing down the line or finding a nonprofit um, locally yep. that aligns with your interests. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, finding an ind industry that is interesting to you is is probably the number one thing that I would start looking for. Yeah, so if if I want to go down a little bit of a hopefully a productive digression, sure. you actually, you know, your your interest in travel was a personal one, but it also had some impact on your on your professional life. Yeah, so um, I did recently start volunteering with uh, Fort Wayne Sister Cities uh -huh. uh, on their marketing okay. department. Um, I'm not spending as much time as I would like to at the moment, sure, uh, just sure. knowing that. Uh, um, it's a busy season for us, but that's been a lot of fun for me to get to know um, the people involved there and start to kind of generate more awareness locally about what we do and, um, you know, how we can impact, um, you know, students who are going on exchange trips or um, just people looking to learn more about other cultures. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, that I admire about the path you've taken, and it's kind of emblematic of something that didn't exist when I started my career, is is if there's not a path for you, you can create one. You can start a blog. You can start video content and position yourself as an expert or at least someone who has an affinity for a particular in industry. And sometimes that turns into a career or at the very least it it helps complement a career. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, second question. Um, if someone were to ask you about the place you work and you had to sum it up in a few sentences, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, what would you say? Uh, we make pontoon boats and we have a lot of fun doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you enjoy hanging out with your friends on the water in the summer, I mean, that's that's basically Harris yeah. uh, in a nutshell. Uh, we make good boats. All right, great. So the last one might be easier for you than it has been for some people because you're actually in an industry that's thrived during this time period. But, um, you know, what have you learned over the past 14 or so months that you think will stick with you because you know the the last guest that I spoke with we were talking about you know some things changed and pushed forward things that were on the cusp anyway and now it's just sort of everyday life that we're using them in terms of works you know tools at work or or ways of working any of that or or anything else that you learned over the past 14 months that you think is now here to stay yeah, I'm a lot more um, into my schedule. I, I make sure that I block out time if I know that I'm going to need to do something. Um, I, I've been lucky enough to work remote um, throughout most of it, and I'm kind of hybrid right now, back and forth between home and the factory. Um, and that can be challenging trying to keep your work and life separate. So, yeah. um, and even during the workday, a lot of a lot of our employees are in a different state, different time zones. Um, and so the lines between, you know, who's available and who's not are pretty blurred. So I make sure to block my calendar and say, I'm not available after five o'clock. Um, if there's something that we need to do, you know, we'll work, we'll work on it. Um, and then I also, you know, make sure to, um, I close my laptop and I will, uh, turn off my notifications for specific hours during the day. Yeah. Um, because I know that, um, it's just a little bit of anxiety that I don't necessarily need. Um, it's e it's easy to feel obligated to work when it's right there. Yeah. And um, people need to take a break. 
Yeah, well, and, and I think that's great advice. And, and we've learned over the past 14 months, if nothing else, that while work is important, it's not everything. Yeah. And we can, you know, shut it down and, and things will continue to move on, you know, either without us or we'll wait for us when we're ready to get back to work. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, if you ever need a model for one of your shoots, someone who can sit on a boat and eat and drink, I'm your guy. So keep me in mind. All right. Yeah, we got plenty of waters in the cooler. All yeah, right. Just yeah. for you. Yeah. Yes, that's my beverage of choice, of course. <laughs> well, Josh, thanks. Um, really appreciate hearing more about you and the company you work for and some of the stuff you're working on. Thanks to you and thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with another great guest and we hope you will join us then. 